Inheritrix Productions. Sheroes and Zeros with the Moxie Sisters. Welcome to Sheroes and Zeros. I'm Roxy. And I'm Foxy. And we're the Moxie Sisters. This is the feminist comedy podcast where we reclaim women's history by telling the true stories of extraordinary women who are fierce feminist fighters and super sheroes, as well as the stories of women who were extraordinary dirtbag diabolical zeros. Because we're here to dismantle the white heteronormative patriarchy, and we welcome you friends out there to join us as we bring these stories to light and continue the momentum of this cultural moment of truth-telling and of owning women's power and women's immeasurable contributions to the world. And if you don't like it, you can get the fuck out. Hi, Roxy. Hello, Foxy. How you doing over there today? You know, I'm pretty amped up. I'm like, my energy is high today. I'm not high, but my energy is high. And uh, yeah. there's like a bird party outside. I don't know. So like uh-huh. everybody, everything around me, like the wind is blowing and the birds are having a bird party and my brain is having a bird party. So that's kind of how I am today. Yeah, I feel you. It's like a beautiful spring day and I'm just kind of very ADD all over the place, but also super <laughs> excited about this show because we've been working on this, these stories the last week or so and back and forth and it's such good stuff. It's, we've got such good stuff. So yeah, welcome to our first super special Shiro celebration. In honor of Memorial Day this year, we're sharing stories of the Wonder Women of World War II. And obviously the Second World War included countless sheroes and many of whom we will never know their names. Um, But today we're gonna highlight a collection of really extraordinary women um, of members of what is known as the greatest generation. And I have three short bios to share while Roxy's gonna give us a couple of other stories. And yeah, but before that I wanted to Take a pause for our previously on segment because I have a few things I wanted to mention. First and most importantly, so on our JK Rowling, Rowling, (laughs) Rowling, (laughs) our Joe K, Joe K, Rowling, I quoted one of my favorite poets and artists, Alok, and I screwed up the very last word of that quote, which actually changes the context significantly because I said radicalized instead of racialized. So let me please uh, reread the, that quote, part of that quote to correct myself because it is still very, very important. I wanna be very clear. And again, go check out Alok, A-L-O-K, awesome artist, awesome thinker and poet and writer, and you should ch- totally follow them. Alok says, quote, policing and fortifying gender slash sex boundaries has always been a tactic of white supremacy. The sex binary was seen as a civilizational achievement of white people, one that no other race could reach. This is why when black and POC trans people sought support in early medical clinics for gender transition, they were turned away. Their gender dysphoria was seen as a marker of their quote, degeneracy that couldn't be fixed. In this way, the category of woman has always been racialized. It does make a big difference. It makes a big difference and it's that really important. Makes, yeah, that's very important. I'm glad you glad you caught that. I caught that in the edit and was like, wait a second. I think that's wrong. Oh, that, mm. No, 
oh, I really don't want to screw that up. So thank you, uh, friends out there, for letting me correct myself. Uh, also on previously on, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but regarding the Divine St. Dolly Rebecca Parton, there's a story out on the 18th of February of this year about her turning down a statue in her honor at the capital of Tennessee in Nashville. And uh, the AP story says this, and I, okay, so in advocating for the statue, Democratic State Representative John Mark Wendell said, and I only quote him because we both agree with him. He says, quote, at this point in history, is there a better example, not just in America, but in the world of a leader that is a kind, decent, passionate human being? She's a passionate person who loves everyone and everyone loves her. I'm like, yes, Miss Wendell, we agree. Yeah, we agree. I mean, I've been saying Dolly for president forever. So yeah, no, right. I'm Dolly with him. For queen for life. In her statement, Dolly thanked the legislature for their consideration of the bill and said she was honored and humbled by their intentions. But she said, quote, given all that is going on in the world, I don't think putting me on a pedestal is appropriate at this time. I hope, though, that somewhere down the road, several years from now, or perhaps after I'm gone, if you still feel I deserve it, then I'm certain I will stand proud in our great state capital as a grateful Tennessean. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, she's really very tuned into what's happening. No, this is not the right time. With everything that's going on with George Floyd's trial, and hopefully we see true justice done with all of this, I mean, it's hard for me to even watch Mm -mm. to even wash I can maybe do about 20 minutes at a time and then I just have to stop because I feel physically ill and obviously we all should but she's definitely as you often say Foxy she's reading the room like mm -hmm. this is not the time to shine a light on her there are way too many things going on right now yeah and Saint Dolly will always be Saint Dolly and we'll get to her we'll get to that but not not not, not right, right now. now. Yeah, no. she's just such a responsible, beautiful, amazing person. So she really is. I just wanted to throw that in there. In Dolly, we love news. you, Dolly. We love you. <laughs> we love you so much. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, Roxy, do you have anything for the previously on segment? So far, we've done Dolly and J.K. and Audrey and Lorena. So, those are the season two folks. I'm, you know just recapping for anyone who's missed the first couple episodes. Not really. I mean, the thing is we're learning along with our mm -hmm. friends. So, you know, there are going to be mistakes along the way, but that's life. It's trial and error. And uh, I yeah. don't have anything to add. I, I'm just excited to be able to, to do this. Me too. Me mistakes too. and all. Yeah. Learning curve you know? and all messiness and all. Yeah. So, okay. Well, um, before we jump into our amazing sheroes in just a second, uh, I want to introduce a new segment called the shout out moment or whatever we're going to call it. Um, you down okay. for this? Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I wanted to take this moment to shout out a friend of mine and the fantastic and important new film he is featured in directed by Shiro and Queen, Ms. Regina King. It is called One Night in Miami. And it is a fictional account of one incredible night where Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, Jim Brown, and Jim Brown gather together and discuss their roles in the civil rights movement. Uh, the night in question is February 25th, 1964, just after Ali, who was still known as Cassius Clay at this point, uh, defeated heavyweight champ Sonny Liston. 
The three men gather in Malcolm X's hotel room after the fight. And my dear friend, Aaron D. Alexander, portrays Sonny Liston, the boxer who at the time was thought to be undefeatable. This film premiered at the Venice Film Festival last September, 2020, and was the first ever from an African-American woman director. So cheers to Ms. King for breaking yes. some glass. Yes, yes. So, you know, props to the screenwriter Kemp Powers, who adapted it from his stage play. And also notable is that last year, Kemp Powers, the writer, became the first African-American to co-direct a Disney animated feature with the film Soul. So you guys go check out One Night in Miami because it's an important piece of work and because my beloved friend and colleague Aaron D. Alexander kicks so much ass, even though technically he does lose the fight. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> congratulations to Aaron. We love you. Everybody go see that movie. That's awesome. Oh, right. to be a butterfly on that wall in that oh, moment. Shit, right. And I think that's kind of what Kent Powers does is like, they know that this historically happened. They were all there. They went and hung out. No one really knows, but the four of them, what was discussed. Um, that's amazing. So, yay, Aaron. Yay, yay, world. Yay. Good. Indeed. Indeed. Yay, Miss Regina King. Yes. Queen. Queen. Queen who, the king who is queen. Yes. <laughs> okay. So now if you're ready, we will get into our glory deserving and fascinating World War II Shiras in just a moment. Uh, and to kick things off, we're both going to sh share a little bit about some of the badass Shiras in our own lineage. So Roxy, you want to go first? Tell us what you do know. I know it's not as much as you wish you knew. No. And there's a lesson here. Um, friends, ask those who are older and know the histories of your family, <laughs> families, ask them questions while you still can. Um, this is a very unfortunate thing. And this is part of the reason that Foxy and I do this feminist comedy podcast is to unearth these stories because they are often lost. So my great Anne Mildred served in WAVE and my parents are not even able to tell me where she was stationed during World War II. They are only able to tell me that she served as a nurse and cared for obviously sick and injured soldiers. And that is as much honor as I am able to give to my great aunt. And it's sad. It makes me angry. And I wish I could do her more justice because I know there's so much more to her story but that is sadly all I have to share. So there's a lesson. Yeah, we need to all preserve what history we can in our own lineage or our own community, whatever that means. Yes. To but yes. Um, and just to, I was looking this up because I, I kind of know what the WAVES are. But if you don't know, the WAVES, W-A-V-E-S stands for Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Service. So it was kind of a subset of the U.S. Navy um, during World War II. And speaking of family histories, I have the great privilege of having a document that my grandmother wrote for us in the late 90s that talks about her parents and grandparents, her bringing up in West Texas all through until about the point where my dad and his brother and sister were little kids. So I went back and looked at the section on her time during the war, and I want to share some of that. So her name, my brilliant, beautiful grandmother was Geraldine Fento. She was born in 1925 in La Mesa, Texas, the third of fourth children with two older sisters, Rosella and Novella, 
which I love those names. Mm-hmm. It sounds so like, witchy. I it like does, it. It does, right? It's like two, two old witchy sisters. I love mm-hmm. it. They go around doing good things. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they had a younger brother, Don. So my grandmother graduated high school in Lubbock, Texas, when she was 18 years old in 1943. So the U.S. had been in the war for a couple of years. And after finishing high school, Geraldine, who she went by Jerry throughout her life, she went to business school for three months, but then began working at the Lubbock Air Base. And this is what she says. So I'm going to quote my grandmother's firsthand account. She says, Novella kept mentioning travel. She wanted to travel while working for civil service. While she was on vacation, I signed both our names on a list for what the Air Force called skeleton crews. There was such a need for people to fill vacancies in all air bases. She was very upset with me at first. However, when the idea began to take hold, she was pleased. We had a choice of several places, and ultimately we transferred to Alliance, Nebraska. This was a paratrooper training base. A large percentage of the men were fatalists because they did not think they would return. Paratroopers were in a very high-risk unit. We lived in a very small trailer houses on the base. Guards walked around the camp 24 hours daily to protect us from harm. If we wanted to see a movie at the base theater, the guard walked us there and home after the movie. We met some quote, she literally put it in quotes. We met some quote, really cool guys on duty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. Yeah. 1945 in Nebraska, it's hot. She says the winters were blustery there. We walked to destinations through waist deep snow many times. We had jobs all over, but mostly I worked in the warehouse, bookkeeping and issuing flight clothing. Once a friend of mine sneaked us onto a plane and we flew to Omaha, Nebraska and back, which was, you know, she was like, that was a dumb idea, but my friend could have gotten in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Yeah, but it was worth it. But it was worth it. It was an adventure. I mean, you got to do adventures when you're 18, 19 years old. YOLO. She says, we had fun there, but before many months, we moved to Washington, D.C. I had never seen such beautiful country. You have to remember, she's from West fucking Texas, which is basically a flat desert. That's oh, it's everywhere just, you uh, My cousins grew up in Odessa, and they called it Slow Detha. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, she says, I had never seen such beautiful country. Soon after moving there, we were invited to some friends' house new friends home for lunch. Their home was on a hillside with a creek at the foot of the hill. I wandered around feeling as if I had already been transported to heaven. Redbirds, bluebirds, squirrels, all kinds of God's creatures flew and scurried about. Awesome sights. We lived in Arlington, Virginia and worked in DC. We had a small apartments in a place called Arlington Farms. Most of the secretaries of that area lived in this complex. So girl, don't you know this was a hoot? Like all these ladies in this complex, this is like what, 1946, 47. She says, weekends were great. We tried to see and do something different every weekend. I worked for a major typing top secret documents. Many times I sat in conferences taking dictation. This was a stressful part of my job. I never felt quite competent doing this, but accomplished the task anyway. Novella worked for a colonel. She was much more apt at her business abilities than was I. I marveled at her speed in dictation and typing. Wow. From Washington, D.C., we returned to Lubbock Air Force Base for a time. I had two uncles in San Francisco. I transferred there and worked at the port of embarkation. When the servicemen would return from foreign duty, we would go out on a ship to welcome them home. This was an exciting time. The men would toss coins and other memorabilia over onto our ship. After a short time, Novella joined me there. I left California in 1947. I traveled home by a train. On the train, we met several sailors. One of them was Jack. 
my future grandfather. Aww. He, was, <laughs> he was still in the Navy at that time, but was returning to Treasure Island to be discharged. He kept asking me to marry him. All of the folks on the train joined in with him, telling me to say yes. Of course I did not. <laughs> Two exclamation points. Not, not at that time anyway, she says. He went home to Phoenix City, Alabama, and her brother and I, uh, my brother and I went back to Abilene, Texas. We rented a small cottage and I started working for Wooten Wholesale Grocers. And after several months of corresponding, Jack and I were married in La Mesa at Roberts Floral Chapel, October 11th, 1947. Wow. Yeah, That's girl, cool. That That's badass. Yeah. <laughs> it's sweet and badass. I love it. I know. Right. So then, yeah, they had my, my uncle and then my dad and then my aunt. And, um, you know, she was a remarkable woman. We didn't always see eye to eye about theology or politics, but, uh, I very much admired her devotion and her strength and her practice of gratitude. Um, and she was a beautiful lady and she was always done. You never saw her not with her hair did and her makeup and her nails and, you know. Well, I can't say a bit about my great aunt Eldred. She was a redhead. So she, yeah, there are some redheads in my family. And she, after the war, went on to teach. So I do know that about her. She taught kindergartners, which would like try my patience to the ends of the earth. But she was good at it. And, you know, so I know little bits and pieces. But yeah, it's sad when you lose the stories of these people. I'm glad that you have that. Yeah, your grandmother. I, that's I, a I gift. Mean, yeah, it is such a gift. It's a treasure, treasure. Yeah, and I, he is I, a treasure. Yes. I mean, it made me have all these questions of like, so you were in San Francisco, like after the war for like a year and a half. What were you doing there? What was having fun? Was she having was a blast. Yes. I wanted to know her at DC, like all these adventures and her girlfriends and the things. And I do have some photos of her from back in that day. And man, she was smoking. She 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 had it going on. Yeah, San Francisco, you know that was fun. That you know is a that fun. is a fun city. I've been there and And for your job yeah. to be to be like the welcome ship to go see the guys yeah. coming back from the war. It's like a like, party party that's the boat. Best part of a war <laughs> job. Like there aren't that many great, like fun, happy parts of war. So that's like she got No. The, she got the good side. Man, yeah, I just have so many questions. I wish I could still ask her about all those all those times. Um yeah. But yeah, I'm really thrilled to get to share that part of her story with you guys today. Um, it feels like she's here a little bit and she's been really close with me this last few days kind of working on this stuff. and It's great. So, so yeah, I have three short stories and you have two and we're going to kind of just go back and forth. Um, these are all really cool, unique, fascinating stories and we're going to travel around to some different countries. It's the war, so there's some tragedy, of course, but there's also a lot to be inspired by. And I wanted to point out, like, for the most part, we are talking about very young women today. Yes, um, teenagers. Yeah. Teenagers. And I think none of the women I mentioned are more than like their mid to late 20s at the very most. So. Yeah, mine are both teenagers. Yeah, yeah. I just mm -hmm. wanted to point that out before we get into it. I have some source material from YouTube, Wikipedia, the Wright Museum of World War II, a Vice article by Noor Spanger. I hope that's how they say their name. I'm sorry if it isn't. And then this great article by Bryn Holland on history.com. And I'm going to include that link in the show notes because it has some really groovy pictures that everyone should go take a, take a gander at. To begin, we're traveling to Germany, where, of course, the bullshit show started. Um, yeah. 
are going to talk about Ms. Sophie Magdalena Scholl. Sophie was born on May 9, 1921, and though she was only 22 years old when she died, her life made an impact, and because of her bravery and conscience, I wanted to share her story. Sophie was the daughter of Magdalena Mueller and a liberal politician and ardent Nazi critic named Robert Scholl, who was the mayor of her hometown of Forchtenberg am Koker. Furchtenberg am Koker. See, I'm having the German today and I can't. <laughs> well, so Foxy and I talked about this and it's really ironic. So I actually studied German and uh, it's ironic that she has all the German words and she actually can, she can pronounce the French words and I have the French ladies. So just get ready for some really bad fucking pronunciations today. <laughs> we're trying yes. guys we're, we're trying. trying we don't mean to insult anybody and remember no. it's a comedy podcast so please feel yeah. free to laugh at us because that's why we're here that's part of why we're here <laughs> exactly yes have a have okay. a giggle so this was in the free people state of Württemberg, which i'm not exactly i didn't run that down i think it's i don't know if that's within germany or i'm not sure she was the fourth of six children, the youngest of whom died as a baby. She was brought up in the Lutheran church, entered grade school at the age of seven, learned easily, and had a pretty carefree childhood. In 1930, the family moved to Ludwigsburg, and then two years later to Ulm. At the age of 12, like most girls her age, she chose to join the League of German Girls. But her initial enthusiasm gradually gave way to criticism. She was aware of the dissenting political views of her father and his friends and some of her teachers. Even her brother Hans, who once had eagerly participated in the Hitler Youth Program, became entirely disillusioned with the Nazi party. Political attitude had become an essential criterion in Sophie's choice of friends. The arrest of her brothers and friends in 1937 for participating in the German youth movement left a strong impression on her. And as an avid reader, she developed a growing interest in philosophy and theology. In the spring of 1940, she graduated from secondary school where the subject of her leaving essay was, quote, the hand that moved the cradle moved the world. Hmm. Which I think is really- That's an awesome title. Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, she was on to some wow. things. She was a smart young lady. Yeah. She almost didn't graduate, having lost all desire to participate in the classes, which had largely become Nazi indoctrination. She was like, fuck this. I hate God, school. can you imagine? Ugh. Sadly, I can, but I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, same. Hmm. So because she was fond of children, she became a kindergarten teacher at the Froebel Institute in Ulm. She had... She chose this job not only because she liked children, but she hoped it would be recognized as an alternate service in the National Labor Service, because you had to serve in the National Labor Service in order to go to university. And she wow. really wanted to go to university. So she's like, okay, I'll become a kindergarten teacher for a while. She, the following year in 1941, she began a six-month stint in the auxiliary war, war service as a nursery school teacher in Bloomberg, because the socialists, national socialists were like, no, that doesn't count. Sorry, fuck you. Go serve us over here. Oh, nice. Um, and the military-like regime of the labor service caused her to awaken to the political situation in Germany, which she and her family did not like, and began practicing passive resistance. But the good news was, after her six months in labor service, she finally got to enroll at the University of Munich as a student of biology and philosophy. And it was at this time she became close with her older brother, Hans, who was studying medicine there. 
They and their group of friends shared not only political views, but also a love of art, music, literature, philosophy, and theology, as well as hiking, skiing, and swimming. And they just sound like a lovely group of young people to me. So it was here in Munich that Sophie met artists and writers and philosophers, and she and her group of friends and her brother were constantly pondering the question of how is a person supposed to act under a dictatorship? And so during the summer vacation time of 1942, she had to do more war war service in a metal plant. Um, And at the same time, their father was in prison because he had made a critical remark about Hitler to one of his employees. And that little fucking bitch ratted on him. Man, you know, it was getting fucking scary and weird. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've always said that that would have been a really fucking scary time to be alive. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. So one day at university, Sophie discovers this leaflet by a group that are calling themselves the White Rose. And the leaflet questioned the principles and policies of the Nazi regime and called for national socialism to be done away with. When she realized her brother Hans, along with some of his closest friends, were behind the leaflet, she herself began to work on the White Rose pamphlets as well. With six core members, three more White Rose pamphlets were created and distributed over the summer of 1942. The texts use both biblical and philosophical support for their argument for resistance. Sophie helped author, copy, distribute, and mail pamphlets while also managing the group's finances. The White Rose had created their sixth piece of resistance literature and were distributing it at the university on February 18, 1943. Sophie and Hans had brought a suitcase full of the leaflets and had put stacks of copies in the empty hallways for the students to find intending to be gone by the time the lectures let out. As they were leaving, they noticed a few leaflets left in the suitcase. And Sophie, in what I imagine was this glorious moment of youthful abandon and bravery and excitement, flung them down from the top floor balcony into the atrium. This movie moment. Yeah, I can see it. Unfortunately, bad move because uh, this dirtbag snitch Nazi lover janitor saw this and immediately went and fucking tattled So within what sounds like literally no time, I don't know if it was the same day, maybe within hours, within a couple of days, I'm not sure. Sophie and Hans and their friend were taken into Gestapo custody. God almighty. While Sophie had been smart enough to dispose of any incriminating evidence before they snatched her, Hans had in possession the seventh pamphlet, like the draft of the seventh pamphlet that was going to come out. And he tried to dispose of it by tearing apart and swallowing it, but it didn't work. Oh, shit. Uh Uh-huh. So in the court on the 21st of February, 43, this is three days after their arrest, Sophie was recorded in the court as saying, quote, somebody after all had to make a start. What we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just don't dare express themselves as we did, end quote. The following day, Sophie, her brother Hans, and their friend and fellow White Rose rebel, Christoph Probst, were found guilty of treason and sentenced to death. All three were beheaded by guillotine in the Stadelhelm prison a few hours later. Sophie's final words were, quote, such a fine sunny day and I have to go. What does my death matter if through us, thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action, end quote. My God, I can't believe, okay. First of all, guillotine, really? Yeah, like girl. that? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I was expecting like a firing squad. I knew something bad was coming, obviously, because it's fucking obviously. Nazis. Yeah. But you're right. I thought they probably would have shot them or hanged them, maybe. But like fucking guillotine, dude. That is what the. Oh, and Harold, that is so brave and sad, but brave. And I cannot believe that we did not get told this story in history class growing up. I'm so glad that you are talking about her. Same, same. But there is a little, there's a little bright side to the story. Like, obviously, it's fucking tragic. And these three young kids were executed just because they were not Nazis. They were good people. Yeah. Trying to do the right thing. So after Sophie and friends execution, a copy of the sixth leaflet, the one she had been caught distributing, was smuggled out of Germany through Scandinavia and to the UK by a German jurist from her trial named Helmut James Graf von Moltke, where it was used by allied forces. Later that year, they dropped millions of copies of the propaganda tract over Germany with the title, The Manifesto of the Students of Munich. Oh, I just got good chills. We do, we do. Oh, and you can read the entire thing. I will uh, post a link to that. And one more interesting side note before we get to the next story. Sophie's boyfriend, Fritz, survived the war and later married her sister, Elizabeth Scholl, on October of 1945. And Sophie's sister, Elizabeth Hartnagel Scholl, lived to be 100 years old and just passed away last February, 2020. Oh, wow. Right? What a story. What a story. So we celebrate you and your bravery and your sacrifice, young Ms. Sophie Magdalena Scholl and friends. These young people died doing the right thing which shows a hell of a lot of moxie to me oh that's moxie at its finest well are you ready to move on to our next shiro we're going to go to we're going to go to france like i said the irony we we uh just so you know friends (laughs) i did spend time trying to learn how to say these french (laughs) words i have studied german and Greek, and Hebrew, and some Spanish, and I speak fluent sailor, but for some reason, French really trips me up, so please bear with me. I really am trying, and I really, really did Google this to try to not sound like a complete idiot, but, you know, you get what you get. Okay, so my sources are coffeeordy.com, wiki, numerous YouTube videos, and the New York Times. I want to start with an iconic photograph from World War II. This is a really good place to start should you choose to do your own research on this Shiro. Uh, Just Google girl with a gun and it will pop right up. The photo is of a young woman wearing shorts, a checkered shirt, and a French beret. She's holding an MP40 submachine gun looking down the side of a building while two French resistance fighters flank her. Badass! And she has kind of this intense look on her face. And of course that reflects the threat of German snipers that were all around the buildings, all around, you know, she, they were around her, they were around the two guys that were flanking her. And this photograph and the Shiro in this picture would later become a very, very powerful symbol of the French resistance. The woman in the photograph is Simone Siguan. Simone was a French teenager who bravely fought on the front lines against the German occupiers and helped liberate the historic city of Chartres. I'm sorry, 
I hope I got that right. Okay, here's a hard part. So she's born in 1925 in a place that I literally could not find a pronunciation for. So I'm going to spell it. T-H-I-V-A-R-S. It is 55 miles from Paris. Simone had three brothers who taught her how to fight. Yay, boys. You did something good. Simone was especially close to her father, a farmer who served France with distinction in World War I. So, like, it's sad. This family's life is consumed by what? War. Dad's in war. She's in war. Brother's in war. In 1940, the Germans marched into France and began their brutal occupation that would last four long years, and Simone wanted to honor her dad and find a way to fight back. Go, girl. So before the war, she was just a teenager, an 18-year-old teenager with blonde hair, just an average teenager at the time. Uh, she went to school until she was 14, and then she worked on her family's farm before the Second World War hit. When the Germans invaded, she joined the French resistance and took the code name Nicole Minette. So I'm going to call her Simone Nicole throughout all of this to honor both names. Yeah. yeah. So Simone Nicole was provided with this false identity and with papers showing Nicole Minette to be from Channel, from the Channel Port of Dunkirk. And this was a really smart move because the port was bombed at the very beginning of the war. So there was no way to right. prove that she was not who she thought she was. So somebody really? was using their brain powers. All right. <laughs> she joins the French resistance and she starts taking orders from a man named Roland Bouzier. Her initial task was to steal a German bicycle and repaint it to use as, and I put this in quotation marks, her reconnaissance vehicle. <laughs> because you know women can only drive bicycles i roll okay anyway whatever that didn't stop her simone nicole she carried messages as a courier to other members of the resistance and bouzier taught her how to handle a weapon and she served as a liaison between four groups under bouzier's command using her bicycle still using it to travel the countryside She's like will spy yeah she's just like being a spy on a bike doing badass shit all right so Bouzier eventually about brought simone along to act as a lookout while other members of their group sabotaged one of the main railroads in paris by this time she had earned their respect which okay think about it Imagine today trying to gain the respect of a bunch of dudes. It's not fucking easy. Imagine how hard it would have been back then. Oh, shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Teenage girl, like they're really going to take her seriously. Well, they did. So good for them. I'll give them credit for that. But mostly that speaks to how badass she was. Yeah, she was a serious badass. So on the night of July 14th, 1944, our Shiro, Simone Nicole, joined two other partisans in a ditch along a road frequenting. Oh, my God. I can't say that word. It's weird the shit that trips you up. You don't know until you get there. Wow. I'm like worried about French and I can't even say my own language. Okay. Um, so Germans like rode around on this fucking road a lot. There we go. And as they rode by, <laughs> it's not funny, but it is. As they rode by where Simone, Nicole, and her fellow soldiers are, they're, they drive by at like five o'clock in the morning and they ambush them and it's successful. They kill them. They ambush them. Okay, so the quote I'm about to share 
about her is brutal, but I want to say something to our friends out there. Be careful about judging Simone Nicole. And I'll get to that in a minute. An author wrote a piece on her in the New York Times and someone that knew this Shiro was quoted as saying, nothing pleased Nicole so much as killing the Germans. So you might be thinking, okay, our Shiro is brutal. And you know what? You're fucking right. She is. But here's the thing. Many of us want to claim that we're pacifists. I would like to be able to say that I am a pacifist. And I could say that all day long, but I don't really fucking know until the shit goes down. You know, if somebody, yeah, I mean, you don't know until you're in that person's shoes. If somebody kicked down my door right now, am I just going to be like, oh, no, let's just talk our way through it. I don't know. Probably not. Okay. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. If some fuckers invaded our country and are like killing people that I love and know and are imprisoning them, am I just going to sit back on my ass and be like, well, can't do nothing about it? Probably not. Okay. We're not those kind of girls. We're not. So there is no judgment on my end. I'm making that clear. You may do as you please, but there's no judgment on my end. I don't judge Simone Nicole for wanting to end the lives of the men that invaded invaded her country, were making their lives a living hell. What makes me angry is that war even exists. That's what makes me mad, okay? Indeed. Make no mistake, women fought too. They still do to this day. But war was, it always has been, a tool of the big P. So fuck patriarchy. You want to be mad at something? Be mad at patriarchy. Hate the big P, not our Shiro. Okay, so back to our Shiro. I just went on my little rant. (laughs) Which I do from time to time, all the time. Simone Nicole underwent intensive military training to be a combat soldier. She carried out multiple acts of sabotage against German targets, helping to blow up bridges and supply lines. She helped to liberate the historic city of Chartres. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. I'm sorry. In August of 1944. And afterwards, General Charles de Gaulle, the free French leader and future president, visited the city am i saying that right Do yeah you know? de gaulle it's uh the, okay. the big paris airport is named after him see i don't even know that i'm just uh, a dumb american oh I'm well just trying to help out when i can that i'm they, yeah, i'll take it so he visits the city gives a speech at the time and journalists who were covering this event were fascinated by our shiro she's this sweet looking girl she's sitting there eating a baguette with jam on it carrying her machine gun I mean, picture that. That's awesome. That's and they're so like, awesome. what's up with that over there? You know? What is going on? <laughs> yeah. So actually, they they go and ask her, like, what's up? What is happening with this? And she proudly told the reporters that she was part of De Gaulle's security detail. And she was interviewed by an American reporter for Life magazine and photographed, and this is the famous photo, by famed war photographer Robert Kappa. So after the cities liberated, Simone joined France's second armored division heading to Paris where a really, really brutal battle took place. Uh, The second armored division helped defeat the Germans and bring freedom to Paris. 
Okay, that is wow. bad ass. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Simone Nicole was asked after the war if she killed Germans. And this is how she answered. On July 14th, 1944, I took part in an ambush with two comrades. Two German soldiers went by on a bike and one of the three of us fired at the same time. So I don't know exactly who killed them. You shouldn't have to kill someone like that. It's true, the Germans were our enemies. It was the war, but I don't draw any pride from it. So again, friends, this young woman understood that the war was a shit show that never should have happened yeah. in the first place, which makes her, in my book, an even bigger Shiro. After the war, okay, well, she's promoted to lieutenant, so that's pretty badass, right? Yeah, it is. And after the war, I'm going to try to say this in French, and then I'm going to have to go to the English. She's given the prestigious Croix de Guerre. Yeah, the, cr the Cross of War. Cross of War, yes. That part I can say. Uh, <laughs> no, you nailed it. You nailed it. You told me. I tried so hard. I tried so hard. A military decoration of France. And guys, Google it. Cross of, cross of war. Just Google that. Okay. Yeah, Josephine Baker got one. You can go listen to her in our mm -hmm. first season. And she got a call the Gale. Call the Gale. Yeah, there we go. Uh, you sound more like it. All right. So th I, I'm thinking about how, like, she did all of these things and, like, awards that I won when I was a teenager and I'm thinking like, when I was 12, I got most improved in PE. And when I was 18, <laughs> when I was 18, I was having a lot of fun with my sister Foxy and parting my ass off, not like fighting battles and winning. Killing Nazis. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> winning war awards. Winning wars. So she goes on and she becomes a pediatric nurse after the, after the war and she raises six children Wow. serious badassery yeah she's still alive she's <gasps> 96 awesome and she lives in survey curvy sir year curvy sir year that's the best i can do y'all sorry um and there's a street that was recently named there after her nice. and for fighting yes for fighting nazis and helping to liberate france we honor simone siguan she was and still is a Shiro, that badass girl with a gun, a nurse who cared for babies and children and raised her own. In 2020, the village hall in our Shiro's hometown was named for Siguan. So major applause awesome. for this Yay. French badass and Shiro. We we, And I love that we at least have one Shiro who's still with us. Today. Oh, we have two. Oh, great. Oh, great. Because I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have any in my collection, but we're about to talk about some serious fucking badasses here. And this is exciting. We are going to travel to the Soviet Union. And this is a whole huge band of badass sheroes. And they're led by a remarkable super shero. This I've already got chills. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> good chills. Good chills. Yes. The night witches. Okay. These brave women flew under the cover of darkness in bare bones plywood biplanes. They braved bullets and frostbite in the air while battling skepticism and sexual harassment on the ground. They were feared and hated so much by the Nazis that any German airman who downed one of the night witches was automatically awarded the Iron Cross Medal. The pioneering all-female 588th Night Bomber Regiment dropped more than 23,000 tons of bombs on Nazi targets, and in doing so, they became a crucial Soviet asset in winning World War II. 
The Nazis named them the Nachthexen or night witches because of the whooshing noise their wooden planes made that resembled that of a sweeping broom. Uh. Stephen Prowse, the author of the screenplay, The Night Witches, which is a nonfiction account of the all-female squadron said, uh, quote, this was the only warning the Germans had. The planes were too small to show up on radar or in infrared locators. They never used radios, so radio locators couldn't pick them up either. They were basically ghosts. That is cool. Okay. So while women had previously been barred from combat, the pressure of an encroaching enemy gave Soviet leaders a reason to rethink their policy. Hitler had launched his massive invasion of the Soviet Union in June of 1941, and by the fall, the Nazis were pressing in on Moscow, Leningrad was under siege, and the Red Army was struggling. So the Soviets were desperate. So what did they do? They turned to a woman to get the job done. That's right. Hell yes. The badass squadron of Shiro's was the brainchild of Major, who later became Colonel Marina Raskova. And I think that's how you say her name. Raskova. Maybe that's the accent. Well, that sounds good. I like that. Marina Raskova. Uh, She was known as the Soviet Amelia Earhart, famous not only as the first female navigator in the Soviet Air Force, but also for her many long distance flight records. She had been receiving letters from women all across the Soviet Union wanting to join the war effort. And while they had been allowed to participate in support roles, there were many who wanted to be gunners and pilots and flying. And a lot of them had lost brothers or sweethearts or seen their homes and villages devastated. So seeing this opportunity, Marina petitioned Stalin to let her form an all-female fighting squadron. And on October 11th, 1941, Stalin gave orders to deploy three all-women Air Force units. These women would not only fly missions and drop bombs, they would return fire making the Soviet Union the first nation in the world to officially allow women to engage in combat. That is badass. I did not know that. Me neither. All right. Marina Raskova quickly started to fill out her teams. From more than 2,000 applications, she selected around 400 women each for the three units, so 1,200 women in total. Most of these women were students, ranging in age from 17 to 26. Those selected moved to a town called Ingalls, a small place north of Stalingrad to begin training at the Ingalls School of Aviation. They underwent a highly compressed education, expected to learn in a few months what it took most soldiers, male soldiers, several years <laughs> to grasp. Sorry. No, it's true. That um, deserves a, that deserves the cackle. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. It takes you three years. We'll do it in three months. Fuck you. Yep. Uh, Each recruit had to train and perform not only as pilots and navigators, but also as maintenance and ground crew. So they were literally doing everything. Damn. Of course, they had to make do with hand-me-downs and relics because guess what? The military did not give them the best shit. I mean, are you shocked? Kind of like a bicycle, right? Yeah. No, I'm not shocked. Mm -hmm. Fuck that. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. they got hand-me-down. Yeah. Hand-me-down uniforms from male soldiers, including oversized boots, which they have to stuff with rags to make them fit. Um, (sighs) And their equipment was pretty shitty, too. They gave, the army gave them outdated biplanes, which were actually 1920s model crop dusters that had been used as training vehicles. They were light, two-seater, open cockpit planes, never meant for combat, by the way. They were made out of plywood with canvas pulled over it, so they offered virtually no protection from the elements. So flying at night, these pilots endured freezing temperatures, wind, frostbite, rain, whatever. In the harsh Soviet winters, the planes became so cold, just touching them would rip off bare skin. 
Oh my God almighty. Holy shit. I mean, this is serious badassery though. It's fuck super those, like, fuck, fuck oh. the big P yet again, like yeah. always on that. But this is absolutely legendary kind of like. Just, it is. It is. I mean, the fact that we don't all know who the fucking night witches were is. I, yeah. Criminal. It's criminal. It is criminal. I agree. Due to both the plane's limited weight capacity and the military's limited funds, the women pilots also lacked other, quote, luxury items that their male counterparts enjoyed. Instead of parachutes, which were too heavy to carry, radars, guns, and radios, they were forced to use more rudimentary tools, such as rulers, stopwatches, flashlights, pencils, maps, and compasses. Okay, that makes me want to stab someone with a pencil right now, okay? uh And then, just like, just, yeah. Just to reiterate, these women were so much better than the men that they went through triple speed training and used archaic navigational tools to fly with. They were fucking badass. Hey, world, need any more proof? Uh -uh. Uh Uh-uh. Uh-huh. So there was a little bit of upside to these shitty-ass planes, though, because their maximum speed was slower than the stall speed of the Nazi planes. So, like, the Nazis literally could not slow down enough to catch them without falling out of the sky. Ah, I love it. Yeah. And that meant in their little shitty wooden planes, they could maneuver faster and they were very hard to target. Uh, they also could take off and land easily from most locations. However, the downside, another downside, we already talked about some of them. When they started coming under enemy fire, they would have to duck by sending their plane into a dive because almost none of them had ammunition. Oh God. And if they happened to be hit by tracer bullets, which have a pyrotechnic charge, their wooden planes would burst into flames. That's terrible. Ooh. I know. But because they're fucking brilliant and crafty, they use stealth tactics, hence the name Night Witches. The biplanes could only carry two bombs at a time, one under each wing. And so in order to make meaningful dents in the Nazi front lines, the regiment sent up to 42 person crews per night. And each of these 40 crews would execute between 8 to 18 missions per night, flying back every time to rearm with the bombs. Mine. Mm-hmm. The weight of the bombs forced them to fly at lower altitudes, which made them an easier target from the ground, which is why they only flew at night. Plus, ah, okay. because they were fucking super smart, they traveled in packs. And so the first planes would go in as bait and the Germans would turn on their uh, spotlights which meant then the planes behind them could see the targets and those front planes would shoot up flares to make it even brighter. So then the planes in the back would idle its engines, glide in the darkness and silence to the bombing area and boom, drop their fucking bombs. That is the power of women working together because that's That's what we do. That's right. And so that was the whooshing sound like a broom was when they were going in silent, like, idling and just whooshing into fucking drop bombs i love it oh my god Uh, i need this movie i don't know maybe we will write this movie we might need to somebody out there let us know if you're working on it i'm here for it i will come and see it immediately sometimes the night witches would return with planes riddled with bullets now desda popova one of the most famous night witches once returned from a bombing run with 42 bullet holes in her plane as well as in her map and her helmet her helmet i keep saying my god i'm like stuck on that i always get stuck on some word every time we do a cast so like i think last time was absolutely now it's just like my god my god my god this is a very my god it's very hard as soft little uh zennial 
late Gen Xers to imagine ourselves in a fucking war zone. I mean, and we're Americans, we're very privileged in so many ways that we have never had to be in an active war zone. But I can only imagine that when you're living in that much fucking terror and disturbance of your whole life, like what else, your whole life that you had is now ruined. So what else is there to do? You're going to fight. You either get with the fascist program, no thank you, or you fight. And so like, while it is actually hard, you know, to imagine myself I kind of see where if you're put in that situation, that's absolutely what you're going to do. It's absolutely what I would do. Of course, I would get in a, oh, I don't know about a plane, but I would do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the plane either, but. Maybe I... a bicycle with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that, yeah. Um, so some of these other remarkable uh, night witch sheroes. Irina Sabrova flew over 1,008 missions in the war, more than any other member of the regiment. One of the pilots lost the bottom of her plane to enemy fire, but kept on flying and made it. Holy Um, shit. The night which is damaged or destroyed, 17 river crossings, nine railways, two railway stations, 26 warehouses, 12 fuel depots, 176 armored cars, 86 prepared firing positions, and 11 searchlights. Plus, they also made 155 supply drops of food and ammunition to Soviet forces. Man, they were fucking shit up, left they and were. right, and all around. Absolutely, they were winning the war for the Soviet Union. Like they yes. were doing yeah. it. That is awesome. Um, there were twelve commandments the night which is followed. The first was, "quote Be proud, you are a woman." And y'all, I went down some rabbit holes, but I could not find the other eleven commandments. But I'm dying to know what they were. So if anybody's got some inside info on that, please tell us. Killing Nazis was their job, but in their downtime, the heroic flyers still did needlework, patchwork, decorated their planes, danced. I imagine they also drank a lot of vodka and partied and had a great fucking time hanging out, being badasses, and not having to deal with their stupid male counterparts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, with their fucking pencils and rulers, drinking vodka, kicking ass, and yeah, Uh not having to deal with those idiots. So their last flight took place on May 4th, 1945, and the night witches flew within about 37 miles of Berlin. They were that close. That's very close. Three days later, the Germans surrendered. Allegedly, uh huh. I'm not saying it was exactly because of that, but maybe it was. Ooh, we don't know. We don't know. There were a lot of factors. It's complex. Um, allegedly, because the Nazis were the fucking worst, and of course they could not conceptualize how amazing women truly are. They had two theories about why the night witches were so successful. Either they were criminals who were masters at stealing and had been sent to the front lines as punishment. I'm like, dude, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's so dumb. They're not thieving anything on the front lines. They're fucking flying planes, you dipshits. Like, okay. they're, ki- they're literally killing you. They're not taking any of your shit, you dumbasses. And I'm like, no. how, how would thievery train you to like train up? fly a biplane with bombs on it it wouldn't it wouldn't their other theory was that they had been given special injections that allowed them to see at night oh my god it's like we're (laughs) that sounds like something QAnon people would say today oh my god that's so stupid i know i know okay that's hilarious (laughs) that's that's at least there's some laughs in all of this i know right honestly it's fucking brutal but yeah uh-huh, uh-huh that's that so. that's funny yeah because <laughs> it couldn't just be that they were just badass heroes right 
no, they obviously had superpowers. That mm-hmm. They were thieving, injected, yeah, witches. Witches. So they altogether, these daredevil sheroes flew more than 30,000 missions in total, about 800 per pilot and navigator team. 30 of those night witches gave their lives in combat. 24 of the flyers were awarded the title of hero of the Soviet Union. And why 24? Because it should have been fucking 1,200 for however many of them there were. They should Agreed. have been given that. That's bullshit. Um, Colonel Marina Roskova, the mother of the movement, the mother of the regiment, died on January 4th, 1943, sadly, when she was finally sent to the front line and her plane crashed while trying to attempt a forced landing. But she was given the very first state funeral of World War II in the Soviet Union and her ashes were buried in the Kremlin. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Now for the part that's going to piss you off just at the end here. Sorry. Uh, Despite being the most highly decorated unit in the Soviet Air Force during the war, the Night Witches Regiment was disbanded six months after the end of World War II. And when it came to the big Victory Day parade in Moscow, they were not included. Why? We all know why. Fuck the big P. And cheers to the night, witches, for helping to defeat the fucking fascist Nazis. We celebrate you here at Sheroes and Zeros because you were all Sheroes to us and you all had fucking boatloads of moxie. And I don't know what else to say. I need to see this movie. These women should be known by everyone. It's an incredible fucking story. And here you go. Please share with others. <laughs> Even if you don't share this podcast, at least share the story. I'm like angry and also like really just. Uh, overwhelmed at how amazing that is, but also still like really fucking angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck the big P. That is yeah, such, girl. that is such ooh, I don't even I don't have words. Like my head is going to just like spin around and keep spinning and spinning and fly off into the sky because it's so angry in there yeah, right now. There's tons of shit in that story to piss you off. But at the balance, I think like the enormity of the amazingness of those women kind of just, that's what shines through more than anything. It is. And you know what? If nobody else writes that movie before our lives on this, you know, in this 3D world are done, we'll write it. Fuck it. We need to write it. It's, I mean, that, that that's like a Ron Howard, you know what I'm saying? I don't mean to uplift the white guy, but Ron Howard, we love him. And he makes great movies, but it's that, le- like it needs that level of care and treatment and budget and excellent cinematography. Yeah. All of those production, things. Yeah. All of the realness. Yes. I mean, I want to see it so bad. And it, it just like the idea of getting in a shitty ass little fucking wooden canvas crop duster plane with your boots that don't fucking fit. With your ill-fitting boots, your oversized overalls, your fucking helmet that you probably had to like duct tape to get it to stay on. <gasps> oh God. Freezing fucking Soviet tundra and you're going to get in that plane and you're going to go fly these two fucking two bombs. That's all you got. You don't have guns. You don't have shit. You don't even have a, uh, and you just, uh, and then you're going to go back and get more bombs and do it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with the fucking ruler? P.S. It's about navigating. Like they have to literally. I mean, it's like old. Oh, okay. Well, I was thinking that, to having you know. like um, radio navigation and communication with the flight tower. I don't know. Whatever. I hadn't even thought about that, but that makes me so angry. Like, yeah. just t- take off all but like a couple little notches of that ruler, and that sizes up the fucking men in Russia. There you go. Of the time. 
yeah mm. those women saved their asses and then they didn't even bother to say thank you so okay. yay for the night witches so yes roxy you have another amazing shiro for us i'm super excited about this one i do okay so the sources for this next shiro are the daily princetonian the tennessean and multiple videos on youtube our next shiro is jewish and she was born on April 23rd in the French province of Lorraine. I'm trying to say it like I heard it, uh, near the border between France and Germany. Her name is Marthe Kohn. English speakers say Marta, but she says Marthe. So I'm going to honor her. As a child uh, in this part of the world, it was occupied by the Nazis and its people were forbidden to speak French. So Marthe was raised to be fluent in German. And she went on to become a French Jewish Nazi spy. Yes. Before the, I know, I like I love a good story. spy story. <laughs> I know. So before becoming a spy, Mart used her German fluency along with her blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, because Nazis lived for that shit. Right. Uh, she used those to resist the Nazi regime along with a farmer, it was like her family and then a farmer named Noel and especially her older sister, Stephanie, they all helped Jews escape to France that at that moment in time, parts of it weren't totally overrun right, with right, yeah. fucking Nazis. On one very bad day, Mark's sister Stephanie made the mistake of sending a letter that contained her Jewish maiden name. And that letter was discovered by a division of the Nazi secret police. So on June 17th, 1942, the Nazis break into the Cohn's home. They arrest Stephanie. They take her to their offices and interrogate her. And she refuses to cooperate in any fucking way because she knows that if she does, it's going to put her family and the lives of other resistors on the line. So she's being selfless. She's being very fucking brave. Two hours later, the Nazi police return to the house and arrest her father in order to put further pressure on Stephanie to give up information. And you can only imagine what those interrogations were like. Oh my God. No and joke. yeah, yeah. So Mark's sister, Stephanie refused still, even with her father there. So her dad's released, her sister remains in prison for a month, and then she's transferred to a concentration camp. Oh, God. I know. This is not, a, this is a really sad thing. Okay, so Mart's family had some connections, and they actually arranged for Stephanie to escape the concentration camp. They managed to actually get a letter to her in the concentration camp. Think wow. about that. Yeah. Oh, shit. That's some brave shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's some moxie. Right. But check this out. Mart's sister refused to leave because she was the only person able to provide medical care to the other prisoners, especially the children. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. These are the words. Uh, and this is Mart describing the situation. She said that she's talking to her sister. I reminded her that her mother needed her as much as the children. And she answered me, don't you realize that if I escape, you are all going to be arrested? So she right. stays, she eventually dies. She's murdered at Auschwitz. <sighs> so really we have two tremendous Jewish sheroes in this story. Mm -hmm. She gave her life for her, her family, for her people, for those resisting. Wow. Mark goes on to 
to fight the good fight. So with the help of a man, a good man, he helps the family escape to France and he gives them new papers, new identities. And Mark goes on to train as a nurse. She wanted to join the French resistance, but the men didn't take her seriously. Go fucking figure. So she does her nurse thing. Eventually she falls in love with the French soldier and they're engaged and he's killed by the, mon- the Nazis. And Mark was more determined than ever to do her part and to fight the fucking fight. So she supplies, uh, she takes supplies to French soldiers in the trenches. And finally, a lieutenant is paying attention to this young woman that's like bringing them things just because she wanted to. Nobody told her to. And he's thinking like, oh, hey, this woman's a badass. We could actually use her help. And so he gets, yeah, I know. Finally, somebody. Genius. I know. Oh, a woman can do something. So (laughs) he gets. He gets her started by having her interrogate the Nazi prisoners. And she said she didn't have to do any, like, fighting or anything. I'm sure there was probably somebody else in the room doing that part. But because she, yeah, she's speaking fluent German, so she's, like, interrogating these guys. And then after that, she moves on to espionage. And this Mm -hmm. woman saved, and I mean this, our asses, not just France. She saved our asses she helped the allied forces in a huge huge way the allies at this point are pushing into germany and mark is ordered to enter into enemy territories to get information and she spied on the nazis at siegfried line which is a defensive line that was built alongside the german border opposite france's i'm gonna try this Maginot line that sounds that sounds good I don't know. I'm trying. Okay. So for her mission, Mart had to create her own cover story. Mm-hmm. They don't even like tell her. It's just like, okay, make it up as you go. Right. So she does, she does, which is probably better that she made it up than some well, dumb, yeah. dumbass yeah. man. <laughs> for sure. Anyway, so she yep. decides, she makes up her cover story. She's like, I'm going to be a German nurse searching for my fiance, which uh-huh. is Smart. like really actually what she was. But her fiance is dead. But I mean, like, you know, yeah, yeah. she or is keep it, keep the lie close to reality. It mm-hmm. makes it more believable, right? She, yeah, she's very smart. So on her way to the Siegfried line, Mark joins a group of Nazis headed in the same direction. And because she's blonde haired, blue eyed, she's fluent in German, they buy her story. Mm-hmm. But imagine having to hang out with these fuckers. <sighs> Seriously. <sighs> Can you? Can you imagine? These are the motherfuckers that killed, oh, your sister and, oh, I just, I can't even imagine this. Okay, so one SS officer had been wounded while fighting in Russia, and he was assigned to the Siegfried Line as a non-commissioned officer, and while they're walking together, he faints. Mart plays, I mean, she is a nurse, so she takes takes care of him. She gains his trust, Mm -hmm. and when he regains consciousness, he's so grateful this is kind of funny he invites her to visit him at the Siegfried line and he gives her his phone number what does he have a phone at the Siegfried line like how's she gonna call his ass like hello uh nazi outpost i'm calling for uh (laughs) that's the story like he gives her 
his phone number like the way to get a hold of him wow. like, by okay. the way here's my digits uh, here's my digits if you can find a phone in war-torn france <laughs> at the moment just go ahead and ring a dingy we'll but i mean the, you know like it's fucking hilarious they think women are like too dumb to do anything sure, when really it's i know yeah. when really it's the guys like giving up oh by the way this is our fucking mission and here's my phone number okay <laughs> Like all the irony. I love, I love it. it. Okay, so three weeks later, when our Shiro learned on the German radio that allies were going to invade Freiburg, Mart used her trust from this guy to get intel on what was happening. And when they all reached the Siegfried line, there were hardly any Nazis there. There was hardly anybody there. So I'll use Mart's words. She said, I discovered that it had been completely evacuated. I also knew right away that if our allied armies had not to fight against the Siegfried line, they could much faster occupy the rest of Germany and terminate the war. She hurried back to tell her French commanders the news, what was going on, because, you know, dummy tells her everything. Mm -hmm. and she sees for herself but you know because women are just oh my god we can't really know anything she like gets to freiburg well all right let me backtrack first as she's on her way to like tell her commanders she is literally stopped by a tank the allied invasion had already begun and so oh. while yeah so being blonde haired and blue eyed and speaking fluent german really worked on that side but mm -hmm. she's thinking, holy shit, now I'm in real danger because I'm going to have to make these people understand that I'm really on the other side. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine, like, you're standing there and a tank rolls up. Like, I can't Jesus. even fucking... Oh. I know, right? No, so it's I, terrifying. I know. I'm going to use her words again. And friends, go on YouTube and listen to her and her own voice. Uh, and I'll get to more of that in a moment. She said, how was I going to explain to the people in the tank that I was a friend and not an enemy? I had no document, nothing to prove who I was. So I went in the middle of the street and I raised my right hand as high as I could. And I made the V, the victory sign of Winston Churchill. Uh, Clever lady. Smart, yeah. So the tank stops and Mark gets on and she's like, take me to French headquarters right now, basically. And, yes, yes. and they do, they take her and the, she goes to the commander and tries to explain to him that the secret line, like there's no Nazis there. And he doesn't believe her because you know, women can't know stuff. Mm -hmm. he thought, and he's like, no, no, the Germans are setting a trap. So he has to go send male asshats. He sends a patrol to verify uh -huh. what she had seen with her own eyes. Duh. Obviously, it's true. So the Allied army prepared to continue their offensive into Germany. Mart went ahead of them and encountered a Nazi colonel. She mm. told him, like she's constantly having to come up with things. She told him that she had fl fled from Freiburg when the French invaded and she like feigned distress you know, like, oh, help me. Oh, no. Uh, I'm just a dumb lady, and I'm just, just a dumb, helpless woman, and I... Uh, help me. I can't do anything. These are Mark's words. The colonel told me, don't be so afraid. The war's not ended. Then, oh, this is so funny. 
Then he told me exactly where the remnant of the Jeremy army was hidden in an ambush in the Black Forest. So another one tells her the another fucking- Another dumbass Nazi dickhead just spilling all the fucking tea because he's like, trying to get some nookie. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's all our secrets. And here's our fucking Would warband. you like to see a map? And uh, here, I have some photographs and drawings. And here's my phone number. <laughs> oh, God. Men, are, men think we're so weak and dumb and the joke's on them, right? <laughs> I mean, for real. Always. So Mark immediately relayed the information to the French army. And because of her, the French army avoided the ambush, gained a tactical advantage that contributed to their victory against the Germans. I mean, she, oh my God, she's amazing. She was awarded France's highest military honor, including the Cross of War, which I'm not going to try to say in French again. And the medal, oh, military? Military, the military medal. I don't know why my voice went into a different octave when I tried to say that. That is so stupid. Okay, so sorry, guys. Um, this war award was also given to Winston Churchill, just so we know how uh -huh. big of an award this is. And she, if go on YouTube, seriously, she has tons of fucking medals, lots of them. She's a serious badass. Mark helped save many lives. She and her sister, Stephanie, God rest her soul may she rest in power they are both super sheroes like the knight which is like everyone else we've talked about yes, yes. mart is in her 90s now she is still alive like the other Yay. super shero yeah there is so much more to her story than i have time for i suggest that you go to and we probably need to put this link up behind enemy lines holocaust survivor mart Cohn. and it's so funny like she takes, I watched some of it, and she takes a couple of jabs at Trump in the video. <laughs> yeah, God love her. Oh, it's just, it's awesome. And it's, it's wonderful to hear her talk in her own voice. Yeah, yeah. Her bravery made all the difference. And that just shows that women, we can make a difference. Every person can make a difference. We do make a difference, whether it's yeah. for good or for bad. Mm -hmm. So go be a Shiro like fucking Mart and Stephanie. Go kick some zero Nazi bigoted asses. Go yes, do that. Ma'am. I love it. Yeah. What a badass story. Mm -hmm. Great job. Okay. So we're coming to towards the end of our special, special celebration Shiro buffet of amazing Wonder Women of World War II. And I've saved my favorite of my three for the last one. And this is the story of three Danish girls of the resistance. This is about university student Hanny Shaft and two sisters, Trus and Freddie Overstegen. And Trus's name is spelled T-R-U-U-S. These are Dutch names. So I listened and I think it's pronounced Trus. So that's kind of what I'm going to go with. So when the Nazis invaded and occupied the Netherlands on March 10th of 1940, Hanny was 19, Truce was 16, and little Freddie was only 14. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. There I am with my oh my God again. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a very oh my God day on the show, girl. Oh I mean, my God. I yeah. imagine a lot of our friends out there are going to be going, oh my God, too. So appropriate. <laughs> so uh, Freddie and Truce had been raised by a single mother who had a strong, had strong anti-fascist convictions. So when a member of the Danish resistance came to ask if the girls could join, their mother said, fuck yeah, go. 
do it. Awesome. It. Mm -hmm. So other bonus Shiro is Mrs. Mama of the girls. Hanny Shaft had dropped out of school after refusing to pledge loyalty to Germany. And the three girls started with small tasks for the resistance, but soon their involvement grew and the girls learned to target Dutch traders, which they called land watchers, rather than going after Nazis, which if you think about it, it's really smart because you're going after the enemy people of your own culture. So you know more about them, you know their ways better, you know? That is um, smart, yeah. Yeah. When Freddie Oberstegen was 15 or 16, she executed a woman who was gonna hand the names of all the Jewish people of Harlem to the Nazis. She approached the zero in the park, confirmed her identity, shot her and rode off on her bicycle. A lot of bicycles. Yeah, there's a lot of bicycles, especially for the ladies that were having to do amazing wartime Shiro acts. A lot of it was done by bicycle, we're learning. It's pretty kind of cool. Walking bicycles and shitty planes. Hmm. Yep. And, you know, because these girls were young and, quote, innocent looking, they got away with a lot. Um, and they would seduce Nazi soldiers and Dutch traders and invite them to go for a walk in the woods and take them out there and shoot them. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. But I just think it's a great I'm not idea. sorry, actually. I'm not sorry. I don't know why I say I'm sorry. I'm not it's, fucking it's, sorry. It's the fundamental using of the big P to fight the big P. Like it in is. The direct fucking way maybe I've ever seen. So No, that is, that is, that is just glorious gold. Yeah. So in, um, tw in a 2016 interview, this is what Freddie said about they're executing a big shot Nazi higher up dirtbag in the woods using this technique. She says, quote, I didn't shoot him. One of the men did. I had to keep an eye on my sister and keep a lookout from a vantage point in the woods to see if someone was coming. Truce had met him in an expensive bar, seduced him, and then took him for a walk in the woods. She was like, want to go for a stroll? And of course he wanted to. Then they ran into someone, which was made to seem like a coincidence, but he was, of course, one of ours. And that friend said to Truce, girl, you know you're not supposed to be here. So they apologized, turned around and walked away, and then shots were fired. So that man never knew what hit him. <laughs> uh, Truce hit him. That's what fucking hit him. Truce yes. and Freddie and their cohort. Um, that is badass. Isn't it? I just um joyful joyful i know i know so not to bring it down too much we have a little sad bit and then we have some good news at the end um hanny shaft had red hair speaking of redheads um yeah which made her unfortunately more recognizable so oh yeah caught by the nazis and executed on april 17th 1945 at 24 years old oh, 18 days after her death with roughly three quarters of all dutch jews murdered by the nazis the Netherlands was liberated. Every year a memorial marks Hanny's courage and sacrifice. And I just want to highlight that. Three I'm glad that they do. I'm glad that they do. Yeah. Yeah. At least the Dutch kind of have their yeah. shit together a little have bit. Their They're like, oh yeah, uh -huh. this woman did something. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's horrible, but it's wonderful. That I know, that. I know. Yeah. It's Three such quarters. a mixed bag. Yeah. Oh my that's God. the thing it's a very shiro and zero everything because we have these amazing shiros but the whole fucking situation and the enemy are such huge zeros and it's it's so yeah it's like yuck and then you're like but yay but then you're like Bleh. 
And then you're like, but you to be that badass because I wish you hadn't had your fucking village blown up and your sweetheart killed and your parents jailed. You didn't need to fucking take over the world and control the world because your penis is fucking in charge of everything and you can't fucking use your brain. And you got no kind of, yeah. Mm hmm. So, but on a higher note to leave, to leave this story, Truist's children described the Overstegen sisters as, quote, unbreakable. Truist became an artist, focusing her work on the hope that the world can be a better place. Her book, published in 1998 under her married name, Truist Minger, is called Not Then, Not Now, Not Ever. Which is wow. She died in 2016 at the age of 92, and her badass little sister, Freddie, passed away in 2018, just one day shy of her 93rd birthday. So both mm. the Oberstegen sisters lived to be very old ladies. Very cool. So yeah. we salute you, Hanny, Truce, and Freddie, and your incredible moxie and bravery and badassery. What a, what a story. What a what a world <laughs> the moxie is just off the charts today and the moxie is overflowing with these ladies like it is are just a few stories of so so many others that should be told and need to be told so exactly, exactly. find your moxie friends and start yes, telling these yes. stories with us because absolutely you know we should have learned about this in history classes yeah, i should have i didn't i didn't know any of these women i didn't know any of these names no the only woman of note of the world war ii era i ever learned about was anne frank i think that was right. the only one that like pops right to memory, you know, and she was obviously a very important woman and a martyr of the war and did something amazing. Um, but there were so many stories. There are millions of women. All over different countries, all yeah. in different ways, all, you know, using their strength and their wiles and their stealthiness and their craft and, and fucking getting it done. In fact, this has actually made me want to do a lot more World War II history because it kind of seems to me like the women won the war for us is what happened. Well, okay, so they kind of did win the war because not only are they out there doing badass like espionage and fighting and whatever they're being asked to do, they're also holding down the fort and fucking some of them are like raising babies. Like think about yeah. they're working the factories here and doing every in this country. Yeah. They were doing it all, you know, like yeah. Moxie off the charts. I mean, we could just do this forever and we would never be able to cover it's true we the... could have a whole podcast that was just only yeah. about this topic and honestly friends if any of you have stories from your own family or circle that you would like to have us read or share with others i would love it love it we would both love it if you would send us those so yes um, please feel free to email us at roxy and foxy at gmail that's r-o-x-i-e-a-n-d-f-o-x-i-e uh, we're also on Instagram at Shiro's Zeros. We have a Facebook page for the show for Shiro's and Zeros. And then we now, new and improved, also have Shiro's and Zeros pod chat group. So you can come join the group and 
there's a lot of cool groovy people in there already and we're going to be talking about all this all these great sheroes and all this great stuff and sharing things so please come join us out there in the social media world we are we are so excited to interact with you and build a little community around our little baby moxie podcast yeah exactly join the moxie magic yeah, we have our next show coming up, gang, is going to be devoted. We have two shows coming up in June that are going to be devoted to LGBTQIA Shiros with some interesting offset zeros, which we haven't 100% solidified yet. So, but be looking for those soon. Um, the first of those will come out in a couple of weeks. And uh, I'm very, very excited about both of our Shiro selections for that, for those two shows. So I am too. Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be another good one. I mean, women are just... Women awesome. are amazing. I'm never going to get tired of this job. I love it. And I really hope that someday it can be our, our capital J job. <laughs> uh, totally with you on that. Yes. We're working on it, but thank you so much friends for joining us again today. We hope you enjoyed these incredible world war two sheroes and uh, yeah, we'll be back to, to hang out with you again soon. We love you. Moxie sisters out. And, and we're, we're the, the Moxie sisters. I have crazy eyes. And, and we're, we're the Moxie sisters. sisters. Let's get this party started. Where's my fucking page? Well, I like to put things all over the place so I can't find them and be a complete fucking shit show. That's more my fun, life. It's more exciting. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. Super no. Shiro's, super special super shiro. I wrote this shit. Who am I? Okay. But anyway. <laughs> the Swedish chef. Okay. <laughs> I like to make things easy for myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me too. Oh. Notoriously. So excited. Be our mamas. <laughs> right? Will you be my adopted grandmother, please? Or mother or sister or anything. She can be my, yeah, whatever. I'll take anything. Right, fairy godmother. Uh, step niece, even. I don't care. <laughs> step niece. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Whatever you give uh, me, I'll take it. It's just a dusty butthole. It's dust, dust bowl. Yeah. I mean, sorry, my, no, my cousins grew up in Odessa. <laughs> sorry, people in West Texas. Yeah. They're like, fuck you. They're like, we you. know. We live here. Um, Listen, cousins... I live in a dusty butthole. If <laughs> it makes you feel any better. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's they put awesome. Her on that duty because she was pretty. They were like, put all the pretty girls on the welcome home boat. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean I'm not yeah. just, that was the only reason. She was obviously, you know, capable. Frequenting, frequent, frequented. She lives yeah. in, and I'm going to try to say this, Curvy, Cur, <laughs> Curvy, Oh my God. That's so. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe it. That just came out of my mouth. <laughs> I, I sound like an idiot. I know it. Oh my God. Just look her up, oh, please. Let's, let's try it again. <laughs> Simone Nicole went on to become. <laughs> God, I can't stop. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> like the sweetest fucking shit oh i'm french and i'm horrible okay okay sorry guys i'm getting excited and i'm talking too fast and i need to take a breath okay <laughs> um to our men who are allies i apologize 
maybe a little bit but listen i feel like if our brother if we have some brothers out there listening to the moxie sisters they're probably pretty cool brothers so like welcome behave yourselves that's right oh yeah Mm, we need a t-shirt that says that (sighs) okay girl that was fucking great it was good it was fun we both had a lot of energy at the top and i'm kind of tired it was funny like before we got on i was like what is this feeling oh I know this feeling. This is like when I would go to do a show, like do, you know, go perform and like that nervous jitter, like, oh, I'm excited and I'm kind of geeky and I can't get my fucking focus together. It's like, there's no off button. It's like, that's where I was, I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Oh my God. Yeah, I was totally oh geeking God. out. My adrenaline was like pumping because we're talking about all this exciting action. <laughs> I'm just it like, is. It's a very exciting story today. Like, Slow down. You're not actually in a war right now. <laughs> I, know, I know. I'm like, but, but it's my imagination. So, it's <laughs> I, I'm, I'm there. I'm in a flaming plane over the Soviet tundra. <laughs> <laughs>